Welcome to Doing CX Right, a podcast where we discuss how to differentiate brands by doing customer experience right. I'm your host, Stacey Sherman, an author, award-winning keynote speaker, and mentor passionate to help you humanize business and improve experiences to achieve real results. Have you heard of Copilot's artificial intelligence? It's the innovative new AI assistant from Microsoft that's changing the way we work and communicate. It's freeing up time for people to do more important tasks, including building customer relationships and removing friction. Wondering what do I mean? How is Copilot different or similar to ChatGPT? What are use cases that you would wanna know about and plan for to gain a competitive advantage? Well, you're going to hear answers to these questions and the exciting new AI developments from today's guest, Frank X. Shaw, who is Chief Communication Officer at Microsoft. Frank shares stories about how Copilot name was derived with clear intentionality, how to get people to adopt to technology as a means to enhance customer experiences, as well as the art of change management and leveraging AI's full power versus fearing change that is happening and continuing at rapid pace. I'm excited for you to hear this episode and learn from my conversations with Frank as there's a lot to unpack. Before we get started, please share my podcast with others who can benefit and sign up for my newsletter at doingcxright.com for updates on new show releases and valuable resources to help you in doing CX right. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, Frank Shaw. Welcome to the Doing CX Right Show. Hi, Stacey. It's great to be here. Excited about this conversation because it is such hot topics and the audience will know why in a moment. Before we get there, who are you? What do you do professionally? I am the Chief Communications Officer for Microsoft, uh, which means that I lead a fantastic team of global communicators uh, helping tell the stories that uh, help people fall in love with Microsoft and the products and services that we make. Mm. Why your passion around technology and all the work that you're doing? I grew up um, in the Bay Area um, at a time when like Silicon Valley was not really a thing. It was just becoming Silicon Valley. Uh, and so I think it sort of gets in your blood uh, as, as I grew up. I mean, there was, you know, all these wildly interesting things happening from a technology standpoint. And then when I went off and got a degree in journalism, you know, I really got captured by the idea of uh, telling stories. Like, you know, how do you tell stories that explain things? How do you tell stories to help people understand? Um, you know, how do you respond in moments of crisis, you know, using communications tools? And so that was something I was really passionate about as well. And then at some point in my career, I was able to combine these things. Uh, and I was able to, you know, work at companies that were focused on technology uh, and telling stories about those companies. And so it was a perfect marriage for me of, you know, a topic that I was super interested in, the way technology shapes the way we live and work, um, and what I love to do, which is, you know, focused on the art uh, and science of communications. Mm, I love that you said that because I have a framework that's called the heart and science of customer oh, experience. Yeah, so that's right. We- 
we think alike. What's a fun fact that people may not know about you, professionally or personally? Oh, um, this question always stumps me a little bit because my my job requires me to be online a lot. And so I share a bunch of information and then I go like, well, what haven't I shared? Uh, <laughs> so um, my team knows this. Uh, I'm a massive Bob Dylan fan. Uh, he's been my top artist ever since uh, you know I've been using Spotify. And it's possible I have a Spotify playlist that has every song he's ever uh, released. Uh, it's up to about 90 hours. Ooh. of Bob Dylan music, chronologically uh, organized. I bet a lot of people do that with the artists they love. That's a very fun fact. Yes. That's fabulous. So let's get into the heart of the show here. And this is the Doing CX Right show. So let's start with the question, what does customer experience mean to you? Yeah, customer experience means that we're actually connecting with uh, with people in a more than transactional way. Uh, so, you know, sometimes my customers, if I think about it, are employees because uh, I'm I'm talking to them about what we're doing. You know, sometimes my customers are members of the media uh, because we're engaging with them at a at a media event uh, of of some kind. You know, sometimes my customers are you know, executives or peers at Microsoft that we're working on uh, with, uh, with a, about a, a project. And for me, you know, the, the important part is like making sure that we're, we're connecting in a, in a meaningful way at some point, you know, that it's not transactional. The more transactional you get, the less impact you have over time. I want to emphasize really loudly for listeners to what you just said, because customer is defined by all the different people we interact with. And so I love that you brought that out, that it's external, it's internal, it's all the departments, it's your vendors, it's your partners, it's your media. Right. And that's why we have to do it right and not just in that small linear definition. Right. And sometimes we get so caught up in our own heads about what we're trying to do that we lose sight of all these touch points that are important and we just sort of like bull ahead and then we get to where we're going and maybe we got there, but there's like bodies everywhere and you can't celebrate it. You know, you're finished, but like, wow, wasn't a great experience for people along the way. I agree. So talk to me about communication or lack of <laughs> and how that impacts customer experience as we just defined it in a variety of roles and definitions. But where does communication from what you've seen and the research and all that you're doing at Microsoft, where's the impact to experience? You know, it's, it's, it's a super interesting question. Um, uh, over the last, I don't know, 10 or 15 years, I think you've seen a real focus on storytelling across a whole variety of customer engagements. And I think that's important because what you're trying to do is you're trying to get people to remember something and feel something. Yeah. And and one of the best ways to do that is to embed what you're doing in some form of story. Because that's how people remember things. You know, it's it's like it's super hard to remember a set of facts. You know, you can do rote memory on things. 
but it's really easy to remember something that that comes with a story attached to it that made you feel something. And so that's what we that's what we try to do. Sometimes it's like big, long, involved storytelling, but sometimes it can be just really, really short. You know, thirty to sixty seconds of an engagement that that leaves somebody feeling different. Hopefully, mm-hmm. good. So I can't help but ask about AI, co-pilot. Where does that come into play when you're talking about communication, storytelling? Help me understand what's the link. Yeah, I mean, so you know, Microsoft over the last set of months has released a whole bunch of AI-related technologies uh, that we generally talk about as co-pilots. So, you know, Bing is a co-pilot for the web. Uh, there's co-pilots in the office products that, uh, or there will be co-pilots in the office products that people will use. We have a GitHub co-pilot to help developers write code. And uh, we picked the concept of co-pilot very carefully because it implies or demands that the person is at the center of this as opposed to um, any kind of computer um, or assisted uh, um, technology. And, and we did that because seven years ago, when we first started thinking about like what was coming from an AI standpoint, uh, our CEO you know, had a set of principles. And one of those principles was that the human had to be in the loop, right? You know, the human was in charge. And so how do you, how do you make sure that people understand that? you pick a word that makes it super clear. So if you have a co-pilot, it means somebody's there to help you. You don't just get up out of your cockpit if you're a, a, a pilot and just walk off, right? And just say, hey, you got this. That's an autopilot. And that's not what we wanted. We wanted to make sure people saw these new sets of technologies as something that was going to help them do what they wanted to do like more easily and get to their their end outcome more rapidly. A couple takeaways from what you just said. One is the emphasis that there's the merge and collaboration of human and technology. Secondly, the intentionality of picking a name and communicating so that people really understand and not threatened by it. Right, because any new technology, any change can be hard for people. And you know, historically, this has been like this has been true. I think it was you know Socrates who um, really did not like the idea of the written word because it meant that people wouldn't be able to wouldn't would stop thinking. Like memorization was so important uh, for them. You know, the printing press, electricity. You know, all these things had detractors for them because they drove real change in what uh, what was happening. And so, you know, we have to understand that um, as bringers of technology, that it's not always going to be universally lauded and welcomed because it's different. And so we have to think about how do we make sure that we are bringing this out in, in a safe and responsible way and we are giving people permission uh, to use it and and to feel something, not just tell them like, oh, it's going to be okay. People know the term chat GPT, 
unless they've been living under a rock. Mm-hmm. And now here comes Copilot and some others. How is it same? How is it different for people that are trying to understand and grasp these concepts? Yeah, I mean, what's happened is we have um, we have seen like a rapid, rapid evolution in what we think about what we call large language models. Uh, GPT-4 uh, and GPT-3 uh, are two from OpenAI uh, that, that Microsoft uses, but there's other ones from Google and Facebook and um, you know, Hugging Face and others. It's just this collection of you know, very large language models that have the capability of reasoning over lots and lots of data and predicting what might come next in a way mm-hmm. that, that feels natural. And so ChatGPT is a great example of that where, you know, if you ask questions, you provide text, you know, it can do reasoned analysis uh, over that uh, based on the training that it is, uh, uh, it has gone through. And they've gotten better faster than people had, have expected. So of course, you know, everybody in the industry has been working on AI for a very long time and making incremental uh, progress. And then just boom, like you have this massive step change in terms of what that engagement model looks like, you know, what you can expect from an, uh, um, a service like ChatGPT or Bing or Google's Bard or, or anything um, else. It's just, you know, very different. Mm. I also imagine usability of the technology and the platform is going to be a differentiator from a UX, CX perspective. Yes, the uh, and and that is that is key. Is like how is it that you um, you bring this to people in a way that they can most easily interact with it? Uh, you know, ChatGPT is great because people are used to asking questions, typing in questions. I mean, as humans, we're curious, and so now you have this interface where you can use natural language to ask questions and get responses, and that's one example. You know, in um, in some of the products that that we are shipping from Microsoft, you know, Word and Teams, you know, you'll have a slightly different engagement, but you'll still be able to use natural language to ask questions and do things. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, you'll be able to take a PowerPoint and instead of having to remember every you know gazillion commands that exist in PowerPoint, you can just say, "Make all my title slides green," and mm-hmm. it will do that. And so like that's the that's an example of using the technology to remove friction between you know what I want to have happen and my ability to get it done because before I would have had to go to a style sheet I would have had to look it up and probably online because I'm not great at PowerPoint now I just said oh do this and then it knows how to do that and it just does it for me. I love that you use the word friction removing friction because in customer experience that is a huge goal across that customer journey. Where are the pain points? Where are the friction points? I love that you mentioned that as a, a benefit. Exactly. And, and like the reason it's because like we're all trying to get something done. We're trying to yeah. do something wherever we are. And then there's a bunch of things that are almost always in the way. And, and sometimes they're technology. We've created problem. We have created friction with technology in some cases. So guilty as charged. Uh, 
<laughs> but now we yes. have the opportunity to think about what can we do to remove those barriers between what we want to do um, most and just get us there faster. Tell me more use cases in the way of customer experience, meaning that it's either going to co-pilot, let's focus on that. How is it going to enhance the experiences people have with brands or and employee experience, freeing up their time so like contact center agents, that mm -hmm. they can have more ability to deliver customer excellence on the phone or chat. Tell me yeah. some. That's a, that, the, customer, the customer experience uh, on um, uh, help is a great example, which is not, um, like I would say it's subpar right now. I mean, you know, we've all engaged with a, a, a virtual agent and not had a great experience, probably. Mm -hmm. Yep. And that's usually combined with, would you like to talk to a real person where you have to redo everything again? <sighs> and right. And so, you know, using some of the, you know, the technology that is now available in, 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 in our software and in other people's software, you're going to get a smarter agent that will answer questions more naturally based on the data that it has access to. So you think about like um, um, using a, a chat interface that is really smart, that actually has read all the help documents and um, you know, potentially has access to the web. And so it can get most of these things right. But then you can, you can take that and have a summary of that chat. So when the agent actually picks up the phone or actually looks at the chat, they already have a summary that has been generated by uh, AI that says, this is the customer, this is what we know about the customer, this is the challenge they're having, this is what I've asked them to do, and now I need help. So that experience then, you know, is better for everybody, right? The agent has the information they need. They feel like they're going to be helpful right off the bat. And the person doesn't have to go through it again. And so that's an example of using some of those. And then when you're finished, you can actually take all that data and push it back into the model to make the model better. So the next customer with something similar might actually get a better answer faster uh, in that first run through. I want to emphasize something you just said, which is the AI can aggregate all the information from content created and help answer and get the experience timely, quick, efficient with the caller or the chatter. What is key here is that the content is kept up to date. Mm -hmm. And that's a human being that has right. to be on top of that. Yeah. And so like, and this is the best part of what we're learning is you actually have, you have a, two different things that, that, that really have to go well together. You have these large language models as, that, that are super smart and can analyze data. Mm -hmm. Then you have your company data, which may or may not be on the web, right? But it's, it's your, your data. It's your products. It's your product understanding. It's all the help that you've provided to others. And so now you can take those two things and you can combine them. So you can have something that provides a chat interface that can, act, that can answer questions uh, based on an analysis of the data that you have, but it's your data. And as your data gets better, 
then it gets better at answering the questions. Not because you're training the large language model, but because you're making sure that your um, data set is perfect. Mm. I just remember there were cases when agents had to put a customer on hold for a while because they're going through information trying to find the answers. And there's outdated FAQs, there's outdated information. And it's just disheartening because then they get a bad customer satisfaction score. And that's because the headquarter team didn't actually equip them with relevant, timely, updated information. So I think it's important, as you said, co-pilot, you've got the technology, but you do need the co-human to make sure that they are they can do their job. That's that that is exactly right, Stacy. And and the other point is is that in, in this whole process, we're relying on people's, you know, ingenuity, yeah. understanding, creativity throughout the process. And so just because we have some phenomenal new technology does not mean that we should turn our brains off. Because yeah. we're still gonna see things that computer technology might not see, and then we're going to be able to take action uh, against them. Everybody hear that? You can't turn your brains off. That's right. <laughs> That's right. With that same thing, though, there's a lot of worry and concern that AI is replacing jobs. So you can't turn the brains off. Yet we have technology that are doing things faster, quicker, efficient. So what do you say to the people that are fearful from this technology? Yeah, I think that um, first I'll say that the more convicted anybody is about anything related to AI, the more likely they'll be wrong. Uh, because there's, we, there's still a bunch of things that w we don't understand in terms of how the technology will be most useful. So like, I just want to start by saying there that like, there's just lots of uncertainty, not about what's, you know, the, the technology itself, but how it will be used. And I think that what people will discover is that jobs will change in the same way that, you know, they have changed over the years. You know, when I first came into uh, communications and we were doing media events, we would do press events. So we were having a press conference. We're announcing a product. The night before, like we would go to Kinko's, we would print out, you know, gazillions of copies of our press releases and fact sheets and pictures. We would stuff them into press kits and then we would give that to the press the next day. I mean, it was a thing and it was brutal. I mean, you know, three o'clock in the morning, you know, you're drinking stale coffee and stuffing <laughs> press kits. But that was price of admission for a press event. We don't do that anymore right? All that work is gone, you know, but the people are still there. They're, we're still doing something different. We're still getting ready for the event, but we're getting ready in, in different ways. And every industry, I think, can look back at that. You know, journalists don't do reporting in the same way that they did 30 or 40 years ago. Uh, documentary filmmakers don't make documentaries with the same equipment. But at the end of each process, there is a story, there is a documentary film, there is a press event. 
And so understanding like all the jobs that the tasks that make up that thing. And then in this case, like how can AI enhance the, the speed you get there or remove some of the friction we talked about um, are the things to think about. And so when, when talk to people about like AI, I encourage them to think about it as a tool as, in, as opposed to a thing, right? We have a new tool. We get to choose how we're going to use it. Uh, you know, a farmer might use AI to better understand the watering patterns for their crop. You know, a doctor might use AI to make sure that they uh, have a better, quicker understanding of the most recent literature that has been published. A teacher might use AI to develop custom uh, learning plans for each of the students that are that are there. You know, so when you think about it as a tool, as opposed to just this big glump of a thing that is going to happen to us, it becomes more approachable. Love that description. And it makes it less threatening to people who are afraid, resistant to change. And it's coming regardless whether we want it or not. So how do we use it to enhance experiences for customers, employees, Yes, Colleagues. and I do think, I think there, there, there is a part of this too that requires us to be a little bit self-reflective. Like, yeah. what is it that I do that provides the most value to the organization? And then, and then get clearer as possible on that. And then you can think about, you know, how you can use this new tool to do that better. But sometimes we get task-focused and it's like, okay, you know, I'm coming to work uh, today and I'm going to... I'm doing a PowerPoint. I'm going to a meeting. You know, like all those tasks feel like those are my job. That's not my job. My job is to, I'm going to launch a product. You know, I'm going to do a presentation. I'm going to meet with a customer and everything between getting there is just in the way. And so if I don't think about that task stuff as my job, but I think about the outcome as my job, then then it opens up the Mm -hmm. sense of like, okay, maybe I can do something differently. Well, freeing up time is gold. Right. So I think that is the mindset we need to have is how do we use the tool to free up time to deliver and create better experiences mm-hmm. for ourselves and for others. That's 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 right. And um and sometimes it's just getting started. You know, like yeah. uh what what can we do to help people get started? I'll just give you one example. About 50% of the people who open up a Word document close it without writing anything. And so what that says is that they got stuck, right? They looked at that blank page, they opened it up for a reason, and they're like, ugh, I don't know what to do. I can't even get started. What can we do to help with that? You know, you can say, you can put a little box in there that says like, Hey, what are you trying to do? Like, what are you writing about today? Like, just type in some stuff and then Mm -hmm. I'll give you something to get started with. And and it might not be great, but then instead of looking at a blank page, you're looking at a page with words on it. You're like, I bet I can make those words better. And then off, off you go. That's a fabulous example. What is, as we get to the end here, rapid fire questions? 
if I had CEOs and leaders of all different businesses and entrepreneurs in my room right now, what's the one takeaway you want them to remember? I would want them to remember to embrace change because there'll be more change coming. But also remember that they have to lead people through a change curve, you know, that, uh, which is always true with any kind of change management. Leaders tend to go through it first and then we forget what it's like. And then we turn around to the people who are going through what we went through weeks or months before and we're like, what's wrong with you? Come on, snap to it. And we just have to remember that everybody's going to go, go through change curves in different ways. And we need to be supportive of them if we really want our teams to be effective. We could have done change management for an hour just on itself, but really good, really good point. If you could go back in time to your younger 20-year-old self based on what you know now that you didn't know then, what would you tell younger Frank? Well, I know what I would tell younger Frank, and I also know younger Frank would not listen. (laughs) But what I would say is enjoy the moments more and worry less about the things that you think are super important now that clearly were not important, you know, a couple months later. Great advice. Super hard. I I struggle with it still. Super hard. Yes. I find things that are so intuitive are often the hardest things to actually execute. That, that, that's right. It's, and it's and it's one of those things where like, yeah, I, I know what I was like 20 years ago and I'm pretty sure that that was not advice that would have landed very well. Yes. And last question, leadership. What is the best leadership advice you've been given or that you've given to someone on your team? I was in the Marines and um, one of the, uh, the things that I really took away from that was the... Uh, um, the in-depth understanding that leading means carrying your own pack. You know, mm-hmm. it, it does not mean that you're in charge. You can ask other people to do things you're not willing to do. And so, you know, I think about that as a good metaphor, right? You know, I have to carry my own pack. It has to have the same thing in it that everybody else is carrying. Uh, and that when I do that, that makes... Uh, uh, it's clear that it's a team as opposed to one person saying, like, go do this. That is a gem. Thank you for sharing that. that. And I appreciate you being here. And in the show notes, I will have links to all the different ways people can find you and connect with you and Microsoft, of course. And thank you for all that you do. Yeah, it's a, it's a great conversation and it is super exciting times. It sure is. To be continued. That's right. Thank you so much for joining today. I hope you will apply the lesson shared and also requesting if you would leave a review on Apple, it would mean a lot. Head over to doingcxright.com to learn more ways to connect with me and improve your CX. Until next time, I'm Stacey Sherman, Doing CX Right.